This is the Inside Track podcast by the BVRLA. Join us as we speak to high-profile guests from across rental, leasing and fleet as they discuss their careers, react to the latest news and look at what may be coming in the future. Hi everyone, thanks for tuning in to the Inside Track podcast. I'm Adam, the Head of Communications at the BVRLA. Um, this is our second episode to be looking back at the Findings the Association's latest Road to Zero report card. Um, today we're putting the spotlight firmly on vans. Um, by way of reminder, the report card is published annually. It assesses the industry's progress in decarbonisation when it comes to vehicle demand, supply and infrastructure. Um, we then form recommendations for cars, vans and trucks respectively. Today we're looking at vans and I'm pleased to welcome Paul Kirby, who's a self-titled electric van man with around three decades of experience in the automotive sector, uh, predominantly working across fleets and commercial vehicles. Um, thanks for joining me today, Paul. How are you? Yeah, it, I'm, I'm very good uh, and it's a pleasure to be able to talk about vans. I love to talk about a van or two. <laughs> Excellent. We love to hear it and hopefully, well, I'm sure you've got some valuable insights which our membership and those working across the sector can can learn from or maybe you know let us know if they agree disagree or oh yeah we love a good otherwise. <laughs> perfect so if, if we kick off we'll just look at the the latest rankings for vans in that report card um, and then we'll sort of tackle each one of the three streams in turn even though there's bound to be overlap as as we go mm. so for vans this year it presents a pretty mixed picture um, but one I think generally is improving year on year. Um, demand we've got down is cruising. Um, we see more operators seriously looking to go electric um, and a lot more are putting genuine strategies in place to make that move. Next sort of in line would be supply, um, which in the sort of the traffic light side of things is amber. Um, more vehicles are being launched. Performance is generally improving, which is helping people make that switch. That progress is being offset, of course, by the continued supply constraints that we're seeing across the board and the long lead times as a result. And then finally, we have infrastructure, which is deemed to be parked. Um, there's tended to be a waiting towards meeting car needs, which is leaving vans overlooked and a number of use cases which aren't quite working. Um, so as we kick off, would you, do those rankings seem fair to you? You know, where, where do you think we are on that road to zero for vans? Um, gosh, you know what? There's There's been a lot of good push by a number of large companies. Um, so, you know, we know that Royal Mail will, will soon hit 5,000 vehicles, DPD, uh, uh, you know, are racking up a, a good number of electric vans along with Mighty and Centrica, you know, so lots of big companies, big fleets, lots of resource, deep pockets. Um, those companies are speaking very positively about it and and going for it you know and but what we're also seeing is um a marked difference in the marketplace between the big companies that are you know have got the ceos that are saying we need to do this for our FTSE uh, performance and for you know for our for our own scorecards um and esg numbers and all of those good things but we're also seeing then a disconnect between those guys and and the smaller companies that are maybe not with a fleet manager and don't have the support of, you know, being able to lobby and really good relationships with manufacturers. So I think there is a, you know, a richer and poorer kind of divide here um, in in the way that we're moving forward. But ultimately that has always been thus, you know, the big fleets have been the people that have 
taken the market forward in many respects. So we have to sort of trust that that is going to work out ultimately. But I would like to see a greater spread across across the market to really bring home the 2040 kind of 2050 kind of net zero you know goals because we've all got to do it and we've got 2030 uh, and we're going to be buying electric or something um, which is significantly um, zero emission by by 2030. So there's a lot to happen in the short space of time and I think we need to spread the love. Mm. Absolutely and I guess that leads us nicely into that demand piece if we go into that mm. in a bit more where there has been that like say that you know the big guys have been leading the way as you'd perhaps expect mm. so you you said it's that richer versus poorer is it largely a you know a bottom line issue that's causing this the smaller guys to play catch up yeah i'm not sure that when i said richer poorer i probably meant divide in society rather than than a, than a cash issue i i mean because the the cash issue if we you can't really ignore the cost of energy at the moment but if we, if, if we park the cost of energy for a moment, but we can't really park it. But we know that energy costs will fluctuate. They'll be quite high at the moment. We expect it to come down in the longer term. And of course, people have had the benefit of low rates up until relatively recently. Um, but there is a cost saving potentially within the world uh, of total cost of ownership when you factor everything in. So it shouldn't really put too much cost on businesses. It does mean that they probably have to go uh, on a uh, almost a van as a service, a contract hire kind of a, approach um, to to mitigate the upfront costs. But then there are tax incentives for that as well. You know, the 130 percent super deduction, which is available, but probably most people don't know about it. And certainly most people aren't claiming it. So there is a number of things that are perhaps challenging on that basis. Um but I believe that broadly speaking, we are we are going in the right direction. But we've got to we've got to get the balance right uh, in across the market. Yeah, definitely. And so, with that, maybe point parked on the costs. Obviously, a consideration, but aren't necessarily that huge difference between top and bottom. I guess some of the fleet you listed earlier, sort of being leading the way. They have more typical routes. They've got more more to invest in where their vans are going to be and at what times and sort of manage their fleets that way. Mm. So those kind of use cases where it's you know consistent, you can trust where it's going to be and how long it's offline. What kind of use cases are maybe missed that don't have that predictability? You know, might need more support. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you completely, Adam. In in regard to that use case, it's so important that the vehicle is fit for purpose. And what we can't, what we don't have currently is a vehicle that will just fit, you know, a, a you know, all use cases. You know, if you went, uh, you know, a few years ago and you went to the market to buy a parcel van, well, most of the vans would do the job. There were a big empty space that you could throw a bunch of parcels in and there wasn't a lot of difference um, between the, you know, making the choice, although some stood out as being probably best for that purpose. But, you know, almost any van could do the job, uh, at least on a one-off basis. Now, it's not the same with electric vehicles. And, you know, where you've got uh, a response time required and you're, you're, you're looking overnight, I was talking to a business recently, 
that are really struggling to do that kind of responsive, reactive kind of approach where they're looking after, say, social housing or they have to go and repair um, some piece of engineering late at night and they have to react. If the vehicle's not charged and they can't get there within their SLAs, um, so in, within their service level agreements, then they're going to be challenged in terms of adoption. So I think you've really got to think carefully about where you're going to put those vehicles because they're not always going to be fit for purpose. Most vehicles, most electric vehicles currently can't tow. There is um, now a couple on the market um, that can tow or the, or you can tow a ton or something like that. But if you need to tow two or three tons, then you're, you're pretty much limited to the Iveco, which is not quite here yet, but it, it will be here very soon. And so understanding your use case and what's best for you is really important. You can't just go out and buy a van that replaces the van that you've got um, because you, you really do need to think through. And that's why there's education and support needed in this in this process. Yeah, definitely. And are you finding that what more needs to be done maybe in that space, you know, from the likes of us as an association, from manufacturers, local government, like where does that education piece need to come or how do you find operators might best best seek that support? Yeah, do you know what? So, I mean, I, I do it personally as a, as a consultant. I do it also as part of the EV Cafe, which is a, you know, a webinar, you know, really to help surface the truth around commercial vehicles uh, sorry electric vehicles but in the commercial vehicle space is my my area of course and it's important also that manufacturers don't just kind of put out numbers that lead you to believe one thing without really giving the clarification of real world use the adjustment of temperature the difference in charging speeds there is a, a whole plethora of things so it's it's beholden on us all BVRLA as a as a lobbying organisation to get the government to put pressure on OEMs to um, to put out data that is relevant to the real world and and also really get some clarity around charging and what the published number is versus the number that actually goes into the vehicle so that people can make a good decision based on real facts and what they will experience. I think what we're seeing is people are taking the plunge getting the vehicles and finding that they're not doing what they've been led to believe either through their own research or through the, the sales process or through the leasing company, that the information hasn't been surfaced. So, you know, whether it's the lease co, whether it's the BVRLA, whether it's the government, whether it's the manufacturer, whether it's people like me or the things like the EV cafe, we all need to play a part in surfacing what is the right information and challenging just what's thrown out there because we're, we're all still learning yeah I, th I think that is it and it, it isn't exclusive to vans but it's that it's that cultural shift of you don't just sub out a vehicle with a traditional engine and put in an ev and use it in the exact same way exactly. you know if you, if you put your foot down a bit more on the motorway your range goes a bit quicker than you expected like mm -hmm. those kind of changes drivers are yeah. they're slowly realizing once they've committed and it's that playing catch-up isn't it that we're yeah. finding it, it is, Adam, and, and it, one of the things that most people don't realize about an electric vehicle is that it's actually very economical at low speeds, so completely the opposite of your typical diesel vehicle, which will, at 56 miles an hour, go on forever, whereas, you know, 56 miles an hour, whilst not 
you know um particularly challenging for an electric vehicle of course it can it can do that and do it relatively economical but the higher the speed the much lower the fuel economy or the yeah the energy economy is that you're going to get so it's almost the inverse of a diesel vehicle much better around town and not so great on the motorways definitely and with that education piece in mind with those use cases in mind mm. how do you think demand for electric vans might change over the next year year or so well, I think we're. I, I honestly think we're at a real tipping point, and it and this tipping point could go one way or the other. Um, you know, we, we're seeing that there are some challenges in the market which are putting off some of the people that have invested, um, have taken the plunge, and they are not getting the very best experiences from either the charging infrastructure or the vehicles themselves because they're not going as far as they'd like or they're not charging as quickly as they'd hoped or been led to believe you know these wonderful numbers that we roll out of you can charge your vehicle within 18 minutes from 20 to 80 percent on this 350 kilowatt charger yeah but none of the vehicles charge at that speed so why would you kind of indicate that this this is going to the charge is going to be the nirvana the silver bullet it's not going to be so we've we've got to really clean that up because as vehicles are coming back they're coming back into a used market that's not ready for it and so we're not seeing the values which is then going to impact the residual value and then could drive down the residual values within the lease companies and suddenly you from a very good start point have taken some confidence away from the market and if if confidence rocks in the market prices go up and prices go up people you know when we think of everything else that's going on we don't need the vehicle prices to go up because of the sort of um the, the residual value or the demand uh, aspects that will then come and scupper us really when we, we come to do it so we're at a tipping point if we see some uh, real success in the charging arena and people hold on to those vehicles for the, you know, for full four or five years and then bring them back into the market in a normal way when the market is ready, because the used market's not ready for electric vehicles en masse yet. Um, so we do need to do some work to make sure that market is ready as well. But I, I think we'll, we will steadily go in the right direction as long as there's the balance of incentives, um, a bit of carrot and a bit of stick. Uh, going ahead mm, definitely we'll we'll loop back around to infrastructure shortly because i think that there's definitely a, a lot to be said there but if we mm. jump to to supply which i think aligns with a lot of those points you've just just made obviously mm. when we think of supply you've kind of got the, the two strands the the volume of physical vehicles hitting the road mm-hmm. but also just the selection available and the quality of those vehicles that are becoming available yeah we, we, i guess seen... with with that we had sorry we've got amber accelerating as our ranking mm. so we're seeing more more vehicles coming to market or at least being made available yeah um, are you finding that the mix is slowly improving and meeting more needs in that space if we if we take a snapshot of all the vehicles that are available today it is really quite a good space so you would definitely say amber and accelerating you would say yeah do you know what i've got a smaller, medium and a large vehicle that is electrified, that has a moderate to reasonable range and a decent charging speed. And I can choose from one of those with a degree of confidence for a number of use cases. So, uh, you know, just 18 months ago, there may have been just five vehicles on the market and, and, you know, with super low ranges in some cases, 
not not got the payload that you would hope for or require um you know not taking advantage of the dispensations but we what we've got is a, a situation here where we've got a lot of vehicles available sadly the the actual supply is not necessarily meeting with the current demand you could argue that that's a bit of a blessing in disguise in terms of it gives people chance to sort out the infrastructure and also sort out the education piece that we've talked about but um, I, I do think that we are moving ahead in terms of vehicle availability and answering some of the difficult um, questions around towing. Um, we're also getting to payload parity and even payload benefit, utilising the um, utilising the dispensation for the government to run vehicles at 4.25 tonnes. So as manufacturers are bringing out vehicles that can do that, you're actually getting better payloads than you would have done today. So lots of positives there and, and i do agree are, are we getting supply from the manufacturers um, not always um no doubt there'll be a lot of vehicles hitting the market in this in november and december because that's typically when all they they all hit the market somehow i can't think why um but uh, yeah i i do see that uh, on the one hand there's a lot of vehicles being available but the supply of those vehicles is not is not quite where we need need it to be yeah and i think with depending on who you speak to the the noise and sort of the mood music does seem to be improving generally going into next year beyond that that supply sort of might start to be you know met again and we'll start seeing more orders fulfilled but as i say that that does depend what you're looking at and who you're speaking to it's, yeah it, it really does and it's there's a varying demand if you talk to the royal mail um they were very happy and were saying that supply is fine i think they took a large number of peugeot expert last month uh judging on the numbers um in, available but uh, but not everybody's getting that experience so it is a mixed bag some people are getting the vehicles some people are not um but uh, but yeah let, let's hope that we see some improvement over the next 12 months Definitely. And then I guess just to, to close on supply, you mentioned that towing has always been a bit of a gap, but it's starting mm. to improve. Yep. Are there any other sort of gaps you see or you've heard of where there aren't necessarily the vehicles for certain uses or certain applications as things stand? Yeah. Do you know what? I, I would still, if somebody says to me, I'm doing 400 miles a day, my first question is would be why <laughs> um why are you doing that sort of uh, mileage i did get a question at a conference once somebody said right well you know this my client has got you know doing 400 miles a day and they're doing this and doing that and they just can't do it. i said look that means they're driving for eight hours a day at 50 miles an hour as a minimum you know this the, i would say that they are in severe danger so there are long haul uh, challenges i think you know for people doing big mileage or that kind of thing i think that is a challenge people that are doing emergency response of any kind not necessarily blue light but emergency response of any kind because a little bit the charging speeds are not reliable enough yet to play into that space and that would that would concern me i wouldn't be wouldn't be keen to recommend um somebody do that without a real clear understanding of how they would ensure that that vehicle is charged and ready um but those are the main things because you know the Aveco coming out and it's not to sort of celebrate the Aveco, but it come is coming out answering a lot of the issues that were left behind which was onboard power 
that was difficult to take off, but there's a number of manufacturers now, uh, Maxis included, I think, and Ford have got, you know, uh, 240 volt, uh, 2.4 gigawatt, uh, megawatt, no, not megawatt, all gigawatt, uh, kilowatt, <laughs> um, 2.4 kilowatt supply on the back of the vehicle as an option. So there's a number of solutions that are now coming available for power, for towing, um, which were the two main ones, but is that pure long running distance kind of um, application that I would be slightly concerned about an emergency response. Yeah. Because so, I guess, it, like you say, you need the vehicles ready when you are. And if you can't guarantee that, you either need to get more on your fleet. So there's always that rolling <laughs> prepared yeah. stock and the costs associated with that, I presume, are unfeasible for pretty much everyone out there. Yeah, and speed of speed of fueling because it, it you know if five a five minute splash and dash on you know on a diesel vehicle gets you another the fifty sixty miles that you need. Well, you can't do that with an electric vehicle yet. No, absolutely. I think, like you say, the the, the picture is always improving there, which mm. you would expect to continue, and there'll still be that um, you know, those needs will continue to be to be met. Mm. Um, I guess if we we close with infrastructure where our ranking was was parked it's not to say there hasn't been progress over the last year since our last report card but mm -hmm. i think there are still concerns from us and you know, the market around how van needs are being met specifically or how they're not being met um, obviously there's a lot more investment there's a lot more charge points in the ground but mm -hmm. i think there are still some genuine concerns over the accessibility yeah. and suitability for vans is that how you're seeing things oh yes <laughs> um, accessibility and suitability are, are, are two things that that are not thought about when when it comes to vans. And and actually, you know, when I consider um, our good friends at Motability Operations, the biggest fleet in the UK, um, you know, people driving around with with a disability of some description that might mean that they need the right amount of space, ease of access to the charging point, and a number of other things. Um, and actually, some of the most vulnerable users are driving vans that are over two meters high. So some of the drive from wheelchair vehicles demand that, that they have a van. How can these people electrify unless the um, the market is suitable for, for vans as a whole? Now, I'm using that as a sort of an emotive kind of prod um, for people to think about it. But, you know, when a business cannot get its work done because just simple lack of thought, either be it from a local council point of view or from a, a charging point, a charge point operator or, you know, a car park provider, all of those things, height restrictions, we, we sort of get this impression that it's an ever growing number, but these, a lot of them are really not accessible for van users and some of the road, the, the road infrastructure um, as in, street furniture is what I mean, you know, making uh, charge points available along the roadside in different places so that people can park there. It's just very difficult to ensure the availability. So unless you've got a place where vans can go, book the time that they're going to be using the vehicles, then there's always going to be this battle between cars and vans. And people perceive that vans shouldn't really be parked at the 
the charge point that's at Lidl's or the charge point that's at Tesco's. What right do they have? Well, just the same right as everybody else. But we're even seeing signs in some local councils saying no vans. Now, they might have good reason for that. They might be subsidising that power and things like that. But it just we, we need a clear message that vans need to have charging infrastructure that is fit for purpose for them, and they don't currently. So would you think that the best approach is to sort of have completely separate strands? So I think before or up to now, we've criticised the one-size-fits-all approach. Here's mm. a charge point, use it if you can. Mm. Do you think we need those sort of dedicated CV hubs separate to where sort of the average car driver might be instead of trying to find setups that can do all things to all uses? Yeah, I mean, what what I expect is that the, the public charging infrastructure will not be the solution for commercial vehicles, but it will be some form of behind-the-wire or, or a closed kind of booking system. So they'll either charge your, uh, your own depot, um, and that's got its problems with power, you know, just having the available power, that's one of the bigger challenges. And the, the other sort of challenge with those hubs is that you need to think of all the infrastructure that goes around it. So you need, you know, bike to work scheme or the ability to cycle or get a bus or a scooter or, you know, however, there needs to be infrastructure to be able to get people home and then to get people back to those charge areas, you know, or in the daytime, if you're charging on the hoof, they've got to be on the strategic road network. They've got to be easily accessible. Um, and and very reliable so that you've got a real crystal clear view of what you're going to get when you get there so as long as those hubs are well thought through then yes they'll have their place i think ultimately we need to make sure that there's enough power for people when they are putting those vehicles back in depots um, or available charging some way shape or form near to home at a sort of a five to seven to 11 kilowatt sort of speed. Um, there just needs to be more thought gone into it. But yes, the, the hubs could play a part um, as long as they're designed well and the infrastructure around them, the transport infrastructure is thought through. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Now, I guess if if a compromise to that, you, you touched upon sort of the motability example earlier. Mm. And I think earlier this year, we did see you know, some standards have been created, which yeah. start to dictate, you know, how to best support people with mobility um, challenges. Mm -hmm. If there was to be a similar, you know, standards for van friendly charge points, mm -hmm. what kind of things do you think would need to be in there? Or what are the common things currently being missed by what we've seen rolled out? The, the, the good news is there is already uh, the, the same company, ChargeSafe, are uh, considering, you know, how they will help surface the information around vans, which is great. So I'm pleased about that. Um, the the height restrictions coming in and out of any car parks need to be um, need to be called out. We need to also understand the base sizes, you know, so is it two meters wide by five meters long or is it three meters wide by six meters long? You know, and, and I understand that's that's real estate. It's going to cost more money, but Actually, we need to think about it. So a lot of the accessible rules, accessibility rules, will apply to vans and make them suitable for both. Um, and so we also need to think of different types of, of infrastructure and being able to sort of get in and out. But I think if we are able to help 
the market make those decisions through setting some standards like the charge safe type of information surfacing them educating then we will uh, then we will get the, the sort of thing that we want but if we leave it to everybody else and we don't surface that information and we don't engage um, which is why I you know I'm, I tend to be a bit of a gob on a stick you know if I see a charge point that isn't um, kind of serving a purpose then I want people to know so that actually they can do it better next time um, and if they don't do it better next time then I might shout rather than just say <laughs> um, and, and so on we've, we've got to We've got to move this thing forward uh, and surfacing the, the the details that are needed by these charge point areas are is really important. Mm, definitely. I guess if we just close, slightly playing off that point, you know, where does the responsibility lie? Oh. You know, when, when you are, you know, flagging concerns, mm. where do those concerns go? Where where do they need to be heard? So we... we we always run back to government and say, please, sir, can you tell them off because they're not behaving? Um, I don't know that it does sit with government, but I think government could help. Um, you know, we, we've seen recently in terms of the uh, smart charging and, and other elements of reliability for charge point operators targets to meet. I think there's, there's definitely something that government can do to ch try and support. But, you know, I... If, if I'm if I'm producing something um, uh, like a product, I need to know that it's fit for purpose. I need to know that it's going to answer the question. So I think it does behold the charge point operators to fully understand their potential customer base and to realize that actually they are going to have vans in their in their world. They're going to be charging. Now, you can either make it really difficult for them or you can make it really easy for them. Because either way, they're going to interact. And if, if they're going to interact with cars, and I've seen this firsthand, that, and, and the, the site is not designed properly or in a way that is conducive to both, then the van will meet the car and then the driver will meet the other driver and there won't be a good conversation. And I've seen that happen. We, we, we were two words from a fight. It was um, really interesting to see. It didn't go to a fight, but it was close um, because... It hadn't been thought through, so we, we really do need, and it is beholden on the on the charge point operators. I think ultimately, to really consider their marketplace. Yeah, absolutely. So, obviously, the, a lot of challenges remaining. I think that you know the report card shows that there, and mm. a lot of what you've said, I think, <laughs> supports that that narrative. Yeah. Uh, I guess if we were to end with a end with a positive, you know, end with a, a ray of sunshine on the horizon, <laughs> you know, what what do you think going into next year? You know what will be sort of the main thing that has a positive impact on on the market. What can you see and look forward to optimistically? Well, do you know what? It, it, it does sound like that we've been um, slightly down on the market, and and I do think that we that there is a place for for speaking in that way. But what I will say is that there are more and more companies every day looking at this. Um, and there are some real shining lights in the marketplace. Those companies that I talked about that are adopting. And I think as those fleets roll out and we see that they do work and they are working in the, for the most part, and that we will no doubt see lots of innovation coming to market, real challenges being answered more and more case studies coming to surface, better charging infrastructure. And we, we know that 
people are really now beginning to think, you know, how do we get this charging infrastructure out there in a good way? Um, the number of hubs are on the verge of being launched and, and all that good stuff. And we'll begin to see it get easier and we'll begin to see it become more effective. I think it's going to take some time to recognize the air quality benefits. It's going to take some time to realize the um, the climate benefits. But the reality is we're getting started. We're doing a lot of good stuff. The drivers are benefiting from a really great place to be. It's a you know the electric vehicle is a much much nicer vehicle to drive than a you know a manual diesel um, vehicle. You'll be calmer. You'll be better. You'll you know in your in your own personal well-being, and also we should see less accidents. We should see um, better air quality locally. There's a lot of good things that deploying electric vans bring. There's more and more education available. Therefore, people will be making better decisions. At the end of the day, I do see it as a, as a very big positive move on all of those reasons. And I'm very optimistic that the market will continue to adopt electric vehicles and do it in a more advised manner that means it, that it will be easier for them. Fantastic. I think that's a, a brilliant, brilliant message to close on. Um, thanks so much for your time today, Paul. Uh, fantastic insights as always. Um, yeah, thank you very much. My pleasure. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you click the subscribe button. Please leave a rating or review and feel free to share this on your social platforms.